Hi, listeners. Rachel here with an exciting announcement. We are holding a summer book club bingo game, and there is a card that you can download, a bunch of prompts for different types of books that you can choose to read to play the game along with us. All the instructions and information on how to sign up are at rachelthompson.co slash book club, where you can get your card. And you'll also be able to enter your card to win prizes throughout the summer months. So that's from May to September. We'll be running this book club bingo. I hope you will sign up and uh, read some cool books and be inspired to do some more writerly reading this summer. So all the information is at rachelthompson.co slash book club. Welcome, Luminous Writers, to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. I am your host, author and literary magazine editor, Rachel Thompson. This podcast explores how to write and share your brilliant writing with the world. In each episode, we delve into specifics on how to polish and prepare your writing for publication and the journey from emerging writer to published author. Welcome, Luminous Writers, to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. In this episode, it is a book club conversation. I've spoken for some time about how we have a book that we're reading, and this is the conversation about it. I spoke with memoirist and member of my writing community, Writerly Love, Yolande House, who sat down with me for this book club conversation about Kay Tempest's On Connection. It was a real pleasure to read this book alongside her and our members and to compare notes. And I hope that those of you reading alongside us in our book club enjoy this conversation. I will state that you don't have to have read the book to enjoy this conversation and in fact use this if you'd like to, to decide whether or not this is a book you want to spend your time with. That's definitely some of the questions that we try to answer in our chat. And I'll introduce the book with its blurb. This is a book about connection, about how immersing ourselves in creativity can help us cultivate greater self-awareness and bring us closer to each other. Drawing on two decades of experience as a writer and performer, Kay Tempest champions the role of creativity in whatever form we choose to practice it as an act of love, helping us establish a deeper relationship to our true selves and to others and the world we live in. Honest, Hopeful and written with piercing clarity, On Connection is an inspiring personal meditation that will transform the way you see the world. So that's the blurb from the book, the promise of the book. I'm going to also add this context on the author Kay Tempest. This is from the British Council of Literature. This context that I'm about to read from the British Council of Literature, neither Yolande House nor I had going into the reading of this book. So you'll be further ahead than us if you're just considering picking it up. And it's interesting context. I don't know if it's essential context necessarily, but it was something that came up as we were reading the book. Kay Tempest is a playwright, poet, novelist, and spoken word artist. They began performing when they left school at the age of 16. As a teenager, they were a support act to various key cultural figures, including Benjamin Stefania and Billy Bragg. Kay has since emerged as one of the UK's most recognized performance artists, drawing large crowds at Glastonbury and Leeds festivals. Their influences range from Wu-Tang Clan to modernist poetry to Tracy Emin. Tempest was visiting fellow at University College London in 2015. Neil McCormick has described them as Britain's most acclaimed young performance poet. 
Tempest can dazzle with scansion and slow cadence and rhymes, but crucially employs their verbal skills in the service of big ideas about poverty, identity, consumerism, and strong emotions. So that was the blurb from the British Council of Literature that gives a little bit more context of who is Kay Tempest, which is, again, something we didn't know coming into the conversation. We talk about that a bit. In our conversation, we talk about who the book is for, how it impacted our writing and view of the world, and the idea of connection. After we discuss the book, stick around as I asked Yolanda to also share highlights from her disability reading list. Our book club in our community is shifting to a bit more of a bring-your-own-book approach for the coming months, and these are some books that Yolande brought to us on this topic. So you'll hear that as well. Here is our book club conversation. I'm going to start by welcoming you, Yolande House, and thanking you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about On Connection by Kay Tempest with me. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I should also preface too that we've been reading this book within the writerly love community and i've really appreciated the insights and the way that you've been reading this book and the conversations that you've been guiding within our community so i'm particularly excited to bring those as well to our listeners we'll start with what were your first impressions of on connection and how is it to read for you yolant so at first i didn't know what to make of the short chapters in the short book If it wasn't for our book club, I don't think I would have ever picked it up. But once I learned that the author is a poet, it made sense that they'd share their thoughts in a concise way in punchy chapters with a lot of food for thought. So I'm really grateful to our book club for introducing this book to me. It was an easy read in that it was short, and I read it in only a few sessions, and I'm a slow reader, so I appreciate that. And I found that the material was so rich. I really wanted to reflect on it and take a lot of breaks. I really think of it as like a coffee table book or a bedside book that I would come to again and again, just something I want to own and have with me. And my book is marked up with notes. There's so many great quotes, so much great insight. And I really appreciate the recurring theme of the power of words and writing of the creative life and the importance of connection to the current moment, to others, to one's truest self. Yeah, so true. And and what you said about it being, or maybe you didn't say deceptively, but for me, it was deceptively small <laughs> because it's this mighty book that feels very tiny. I felt like I needed breaks in between readings. I did most of it by audio book. And so it was cool to hear Kay Tempest's voice, but still the ideas are so layered that I felt like I needed time to think in between sections. It was very accessible. I was looking over the ebook from the local library last night, and that one has an interview with Maggie Nelson in the back. My physical copy doesn't, but in the interview, they talk about how accessible K Tempest book is. It's really written for a wide audience, and I really felt that there were a lot of difficult subjects broached in a very accessible, welcoming way that I feel like anyone could read and be like, oh, this makes sense. Or maybe I disagree, but not feel attacked, feel like, oh, that's an interesting point of view. And that's really powerful for this kind of material. And I think the short volume is important for that too. I think it's a great book for busy people, as are we all. I like that you said people, and you mentioned this too, that it's sort of for everyone, because it's a book for writers and creatives, kind of, but it feels 
like Kay really opens it up to anyone who's just trying to live in this world in this time and in an intentional kind of creative open way and wanting to connect with people. Thinking about the audience, I feel like it's for creatives primarily, including writers, but it's really for any reflective person, especially at this moment in history. It just has so much great wisdom and, you know, call-ins to kind of get us to reflect more on our positionality and, and what's going on in the world and make sure that we're deeply honest with ourselves first and foremost. And I think as a writer, that's number one for me, that kind of inner work. So true. Yeah. And I think Kay mentioned several times in the book about the idea of like who we are out in the world and then who we are in private and how do we reconcile those masks we put on the personas that we hold and the values that have been ingrained into us i guess and you know where did we learn them and are they our values and yeah anyway i'm excited to dig into all of all of that definitely before then i wanted to ask about you know this is a podcast for writers we're talking to writers so how did this book enrich your writing and did it introduce you to new ideas when it comes to your own work and i should also add that you are working on a memoir you're primarily a memoirist you've written in other genres as well but yeah has it enriched your writing and if so how yeah i think anything that gets me to reflect deeply especially in my opinion related to inner work is something that's going to enrich my writing especially as a memoirist so that my reflection in my writing, my zoom outs into wider society, so that I have more information to share, more context that I understand, that all adds to my memoir writing. So in this book, most of the ideas were not new to me, but the author articulates so many difficult truths in a way that I've often had a hard time expressing. And that just feels like a relief. This is why I love writing and reading, to see on the page whether I've written it or someone else has written it. Just this articulation of something I've been struggling with. It's like, okay, I have this quote. I feel like I've healed a little bit because I can now refer to this quote in the future. For myself, I can share it with others. It's a big reason why I'm so excited about this book. I'll definitely quote from this book for years to come. Reading this book enriched my writing by reminding me why I write to connect. So I welcome the reminder, especially in such beautiful prose. And I really found many craft writing tips embedded in here too. This book was brought to us actually by our member, Ellen Chang Richardson, the wonderful poet. And people listening may have heard Ellen on the podcast before and name checked before, who was my assistant editor at my last issue that I did with Room. And it was to me just like, oh yeah, we have to have a book on connection because connection for me fundamentally, I don't think that's true necessarily of all writers, but I would say a lot of writers who are listening here and who are part of our membership, or maybe it is true, but maybe they just don't know what the other writers that I'm thinking of. But, uh, you know, connection is really integral to what we're doing in our work. We're trying to connect with other people. We're trying to connect our words to other people. And then even within our community, we're trying to connect with other writers to understand, like you said, that inner work too, just understanding ourselves and our own motivations. I want to call on you to pull some of those quotes that you love out, but maybe actually just this idea of that self-examination. So when you shared the book in our membership community, you mentioned 
all the questions that Kate Pempas raises, in particular those why questions that help us examine our motives for writing and publishing and presenting. What are some of the questions you found particularly provocative raised in this book? There were so many. So near the beginning of the book, Tempest asks, you may feel like the good guy, sure, but how can you be certain? Does it not happen daily that you transgress your own codes? If you let a racist or homophobic remark slide, are you prepared to accept that you lack integrity? And more, when reading a book you're not into, they suggest asking yourself, why not? What choices are being made that turn you off? And in the chapter going out there, they suggest questions for performers, which I think are great for writer performers too. Why am I up here? What do I want? What is it that I'm trying to do? It's important to examine our motives for writing and publishing and presenting, as we've read about in our book club before. And I do have one more quote. If we hope to enact social change, Tempest says we must do inner work and grow as a person. If we can't even notice violence in ourselves, let alone root it out, how can we expect to dismantle it in the culture at large? I just find that quote so relevant, especially right now. So, you know, the personal is political. And as an activist, any change I want to see externally, I feel like I can't, with integrity, ask for that or demand for that if I'm not doing that in my everyday life. And so for me, I really turned inward and try to start with myself and trust that that ripples outward. And if so many of us did that, I think that's exactly how it would work. And this book, I think, encourages that in an accessible, pleasant way. These kind of difficult, challenging ideas, but just beautiful prose and it just draws you in. They do this surprising trick of it not feeling in the least bit judgmental, but also not feeling overly sentimental or coddling either too. Like there's sort of this interesting balance that they've struck in terms of relatability. Like you, I resonated with that idea of like, well, look at your own life and look at how you show up in the world and behave, even as we're, of course, trying to be active and making changes in what we see as often horrific in the status quo, especially these days, but also looking at the self and how even just the microcosms, I guess, of our world and and our behaviors play a part of that whole. One of the things actually on that section that just in my re-listening today, I was thinking about was because Kate Tempest started as a performance poet and is also a rap artist, I think, or hip-hop artist, I guess, and was talking about how in this age where this stage is basically our phone that we pull out from the pillow at the beginning of the day and then we're on stage all day. I felt there was something really poignant in that question of why, because what they were saying is that as a performance poet, when they used to go on stage, or they were saying used to because this was written mostly during the pandemic, so at that time they weren't going on stage, but they would go on stage and then be able to go backstage and have that kind of debrief. Now I'm off stage and now I can think about What were my motivations? You know, how am I presenting myself and why am I presenting themselves this way? And one of the things they identified as being quite problematic in our current times is the stage is there from the beginning, the moment we put our head off the pillow, the phone, and then to the end of the night when we put the phone back under the pillow, I suppose. (laughs) But I thought it was really a great lesson in giving yourself that time to kind of debrief and 
reflect on why you're performing in a certain way and thinking of even just what is performance is just sort of how we present ourselves and how we show up in the world every day. Yeah, for sure. I love that part of the narrative. And I feel like part of the power of the book is how grounded it is in reality and in Kay Tempest's personal story and the vulnerability. I was reading a review on Goodreads where one of their fans was saying that it wasn't what they expected. They thought it'd be more of a memoir, more inner secrets of their career. And it's definitely not, I don't think, a memoir or a celebrity memoir at all. Even though the bookstore I bought it from categorizes it as biography, that wasn't my reading. So it's very much narrative nonfiction, very inviting cultural criticism. But there is a personal story of Kay Tempest and the vulnerability of that. I don't think the book would work without that. That, for me, is the truth of it, the veracity that Kay Tempest is. I really got the feeling later on in the book that they are talking to a younger version of themselves. And this is what they needed to read at a point in their life earlier, which is often who I'm also writing for. And I found that deeply affecting. Maybe that's why it's not judgmental. You know, if someone were to write something externalizing to, you know, a problem outside of oneself, it's easy to be judgmental or simplify things. But when you're writing to your younger self, you have all kinds of empathy, like, I messed up, I know why, I totally understand, but this is what I needed to hear, and this is how I needed to hear it. And so it just comes across as the most loving letter. And there's so much power in that love. You mentioned a bit about Kate Tempest's celebrity, and I don't know about you, but I didn't know much of them before coming to this book. I'd heard the name before, even just like when I was started doing a bit of research around the book, I found an interview with like absolute rock stars. <laughs> it's like Flea from the Chili Peppers is interviewing Kate Tempest about their book. And I was like, oh, okay, this person is like really well known in some circles, clearly that I'm not, you know, feeling I was going to do something where I put myself down for not being cool enough, but now I'm feeling that's not in the spirit of this book either <laughs> to do that. So it's just like, I just wasn't aware. But I think that's also interesting because we both came to it. We're both really enthusiastic about the book, but we came to it not as fans necessarily. We weren't picking up a celebrity biography memoir. I had no idea who Kay Tempest was. I feel like there's a miscategorization problem with this book. and. Thinking of it like a writer, I wonder if maybe it was seen as the celebrity of the author could maybe sell the book. And that's why maybe I look at it and I just didn't understand what it was at all. As I said before, I would never have picked it up if it wasn't for a book club. I'm really grateful that I did, but I'd never heard of Kay Tempest before. So I'm less cool than you are. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I realized I had subtly put you down in my own put down. So I delight in the truth. So like, I, I don't know, like being humble. So I don't mind that at all. <laughs> yeah. So as I'm reading, it's clear in the text that Kay Tempest is a celebrity 
were very successful in their career and knowing that they were a poet, that's when I started to understand, oh, that's why it's written in this way, short, concise, and other people must know who this person is, even though I don't. And that does lend, I think, a cultural power to it, even though I didn't know who they were. The book that I own, there's three blurbs or recommendations on the cover, and I don't know who those people are either, <laughs> but presumably well-known celebrities too. On yours, is it Matt Haig? Because Matt Haig is on mine. Yeah, Matt Haig is the top one. The Toronto Public Library, when I got the ebook, the title is called On Connection, Powerful Matt Haig, which isn't even what Matt Haig said. And that's not the title. Yes. That's interesting. They put the quote in it. <laughs> so before I bought the book, I was borrowing it from the library and I was just so confused about what this book was. That's interesting to identify it as a marketing packaging issue because that was a bit of a barrier for me too to kind of understand what this book is about. And I think there was something where I was like, oh, okay, rock star, I get it now. <laughs> like there's sort of like a different expectation maybe for a book that's written by a celebrity memoirist. But at the same time, the writing itself, that's not what it is about. It's not really focused on Kay Tempest's life. Definitely, there's, a, like you said, real honesty to it, but there's no name dropping at all happening in there. But there's definitely name dropping, I guess, around it on the cover. Yeah. In a writing course, I think this would be a fascinating book. I mean, you could study the contents, but to study the packaging and marketing of it, because... I see people like us as being a huge audience for this book. Clearly, the publishers didn't think of that. And even on Goodreads, the review I read from a fan who was unsatisfied with the book, thinking it was a celebrity memoir, it makes me think that the packaging and marketing positioning was not the most effective. So kind of missed the audience. Seems to be marketing itself to people who know who Kay Tempest is when I think it was more powerful because I didn't know who they were. So true. It's like a philosophy book, philosophy on life, definitely for creatives, but I really think for anyone, I guess anyone who is reflective and is interested in this, but I can see this being on a bedside table, on a coffee table for anyone to pick up and peruse. So I want to talk about the preparation section and Kate Tempest's question, what is the difference between self-knowledge and self-obsession? Because in the work I do with writers, I find that writers fall into two camps, those who are very comfortable sharing their selves and even mythologizing themselves. And those are generally not the writers I work with, though the writers I work with are often reticent at first to share much of themselves in their writing, particularly in CNF, where Early drafts from newer writers tend to obfuscate the narrator's wants and aim for a more neutral relaying of events versus, I guess, digging deeper into the self. And so thinking about preparation, the difference between self-knowledge and self-obsession, I'd love to hear about your own evolution with this question as a writer and what you learned about going deeper into self-knowledge, which you've already said is so key versus perceived, I'm putting that I guess in air quotes, but perceived self-obsession. I've always been comfortable with sharing myself on the page. 
early on, I lacked the craft skills to do so in an effective way. And then for a long time, it was easier to speak neutrally and factually, by which I mean without or with little emotion. And I think that's because I'm a survivor of childhood trauma and a sufferer of what I've learned is called CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. I really had to do a lot of peeling off the page in order to more accurately render or even just access more emotion on the page, which is so important for memoir writing. So it's taken a lot of inner work, feeling my feelings and patience. And that's why it's taken me so long to write my childhood memoir, which I started back in 2006. I've always said the writing process for me mimics my healing process, and it just takes as long as it takes. So I've always been comfortable sharing myself on the page and having that kind of self-knowledge. But I really think that stems from being a trauma survivor. And even when I left home at 15, I wanted to go to a counselor. I wanted to do inner work. I wanted to heal. I've been doing that my whole life. So that topic isn't new to me. And in writing memoir over the last, very seriously over the last decade, I think that inner work of any sort is so important for all memoirists and really all writers. So I think that's what Kay Tempest is saying here for all creatives. And I completely agree. Hi, lovely writers. I'm stepping away from this book club conversation I'm having with Yolande House to tell you about the Lit Mag Love course. Yolande is actually also an alumni of the Lit Mag Love course and was a pleasure to have her in this course that is all about publishing in journals. The Lit Mag Love course will help you get a big yes for your writing from a literary journal. The five-week course runs twice per year and the next session starts in January. Registration is currently open all through this month. The course comes with lots of support and feedback from a warm cohort of writers. And I'm really just always blown away by the caring and thoughtful interactions that happen in each session of the course. You can learn all about the Lit Mag Love course, find out what writers say about working with me, and then sign up at rachelthompson.co slash litmaglove. So again, we start early in January. If you want to make that plan, that commitment to publishing your writing in journals in the new year, this is a great step towards that. So it's rachelthompson.co slash litmaglove. I really love what you said, that it's not necessarily about not being able to talk about yourself, but just not being able to go into that deeper level because of trauma, because of the pain around it and having to do that healing. So I think that's actually reflecting something to me where I find in my coaching, I'm pulling that out of people sometimes being like, okay, well, then we need to know more about what the narrator feels with an awareness, I would say around, oh, you know, these are hard stories in many cases, but I think being able to name it that instead of just, you know, I'm not willing to, it's like, I'm unable to until I've done some more personal development. So thank you. Yeah. I thought I was done writing my childhood memoir many times now. The most recent time, about a year and a half ago, I got feedback from an agent and a freelance editor who both said, more emotion, more scene writing, more reflection, go deeper, slow it down, but primarily more emotion. And I just didn't even understand what that meant. Because I looked on the page and I just saw so much emotion and other people would say they could feel the emotion, but 
I got a grant to work on the entire manuscript with a wonderful mentor. And for a year now, I've been rewriting the whole thing. And now I understand. <laughs> I've employed a lot of craft tools and healing tools to access those deeper layers of emotion. But I just couldn't see it early on because I would write so deeply in a way that would make me cry and think, well, isn't that good enough? But I guess what I would say now is that it wasn't the maybe emotion I needed, but maybe more reflection on how I understand it now and a lot of other ways to fill in that emotion, even if I can't. I think I had a lot of dissociation. And so in the trauma research I'm doing now for my memoir, I'm learning a lot of trauma survivors, including myself, with dissociation, we don't even feel the feelings at the time. How are we supposed to remember it, to put it on the page? In a research way, I'm still grappling with that. But in terms of writing my memoir, I've just found other ways around that, that I'm now told the emotion is there. And I'm using metaphor, I'm using beautiful language, I'm using reflection. But I don't want to have to cut myself to the point of crying anymore to always get that emotion. I don't want that to always be necessary. So I think I found a lot of sideways ways to access that. Yeah. And it sounds like even getting to that point where you're writing in a way that can be a bit harmful for you. And I recognize that and see that myself, but it, even that wasn't communicating what you wanted to communicate to the reader anyway. So it's these other things. So it occurs to me, I mean, I started this with the question from Kate Tempest, what is the difference between self-knowledge and self-obsession? And you're inserting something here, which I think is really important. It's like when it comes to craft and memoir and the idea of navel gazing that memoirists like us get charged with sometimes, it's like maybe there's something actually kind of in the middle of that too. It's like, there's self-knowledge, but then there's also, like you said, trauma and layers of things between us and that ability to know know ourselves and our stories enough to be able to communicate it to our readers. Exactly. Thanks, Yolan. That was really key, I think, and a great takeaway. And I love that this book brought us to that conversation about your own work. Is there a section of the book that resonated most or more with you? I hate making people pick favorites, but do you have a favorite? <laughs> yeah, I think my favorite chapter is called Going Out There. And it's really because Tempest does include their personal narrative and things they've struggled with, what they've learned. I also love the chapter immediately before that called Preparation. Even though there was less of a personal narrative there, they referred to psychology and all of these wider ideas in such an eloquent way and just made so many points I found so compelling. So both of the chapters going out there was about false faces, finding your true self. I resonated with how Tempest was forced to sit with themselves after illness forced them to stop talking in order to heal. And I relate to that in some physical illness ways, like with my RSIs and my arms, repetitive strain injuries that stopped me writing a couple of years ago. And I realized I can numb with writing. I used to. Now I can't because I'm limited by my arms. But I really have to be mindful now about 
how much computer time, phone time, how much arm energy am I using every day and be really intentional. But before that, I would do National Novel Writing Month and 12-hour write-ins and things that I think were great, but harmful, certainly physically, in a lot of ways. It's all about balance. The chapter preparation included my favorite quote, which she brought up on self-knowledge versus self-obsession. And there were great reflective questions as well that we can ask ourselves and some great advice for writers too. When you mentioned that about numbing yourself with writing, which is interesting. I mean, I certainly resonated with this concept of numbing that Tempest brings up as well in the book. I feel like there's something on the tip of my brain and maybe you can help me fill it in because I felt like they said something really interesting about how numbing isn't the problem. There wasn't like a binary between being numb and being connected. I don't think I wrote the quote down, but something like, sometimes you need to numb. Maybe life is too intense right now. And I think maybe Tempest was talking about trauma without talking about trauma. And then the research that I've been doing on trauma, like dissociation in the moment is actually really important. You know, it's really good that we have a tool when necessary. So sometimes people need to numb and distract and no judgment, Tempest is saying. So it's definitely not a binary, like numbing is okay when needed and in balance. And that we could still be connected in some way, like it's almost connecting with ourself by allowing ourselves to rest in a way, like that numbing is rest. Exactly. I won't talk about specifics, but there are some scenarios in my life right now where I realize numbing is just important. Something is quite unbearable. And maybe in less unhealthy ways, I can numb myself. And that's okay. That's necessary. I need to do that to get through this time. And I need to make sure that that is not harming myself or others. But it's often necessary to some degree, and I 100% endorse that. I heartily agree with that. So I'm wondering how this book may have affected your writing life, if there was a positive takeaway for you from this book on just even, I guess, the practice, how you practice writing. So some things I didn't mention are, it's a good reminder to slow down and connect to the present moment. There's so much wisdom and clarity in this book and articulating ideas I've wrestled with, and it feels like relief to see them expressed so well on the page, as I said before. I think at that moment when Kate Tempest, towards the end, urges us to kind of stop, look up at the windows around us, and think about the people and the lives behind them, that was something, even just now I'm tearing up a bit, <laughs> thinking like it really touched me. Also, maybe on the flip side of that, you know, I talked to different writers all the time. And I think sometimes I will hear, and actually Kate Tempest talks about this too, is a writer who's not that interested in other people necessarily, or not that interested in kind of what's out there. And maybe not interested is not a fair way to say that, but it just like seems like there's sort of a lack of connection, let's say. And inevitably that's going to be reflected in the writing where I don't feel as connected to that writing, because you don't feel the writer having that kind of bigger interest in others in the world. 
but you must read my memoir about <laughs> this one event of my life. But, you know, the other thing you're talking about, yeah, yeah, I'm not that interested in that, but please read my story. And so if anything, I don't know if there's a way to reach out to someone who's very closed off in that way, but it's like, here's another example of why it's really important to cultivate that interest in the world and to try to be grounded in the place that you're in and think outside of yourself, even as you're writing. It's such an interior process as we've talked about and it requires all this self-knowledge, but it doesn't happen. And now I'm thinking of Melly Walker, our community facilitator, who's always reminding me about community and connection and how, you know, none of this happens. We don't do anything alone. We're always working together. Even when we're in that room of our own, there's a community around us. As you were talking, I was thinking about, first of all, I agree. It did make me think of people who aren't necessarily closed off to others, but it makes me think of writers. And I read a number of disability narratives, for example, that talk about the author's own personal story. And while that's really interesting, sometimes there's little or no effort to connect it, their narrative to the disability community in general, in terms of researching disability justice, disability studies, promoting or just being aware of other disabled authors. And that really does limit the scope of the book. And I find now, even before when I couldn't articulate this, I just responded less. They didn't resonate with me, those narratives, as much. And I can articulate why now. And that's why when even someone's personal narrative is responding to narratives in our popular culture right now, responding to other memoirs, even if that isn't explicitly named in that research, isn't on the page, it's still evident in the way that they speak and characterize themselves. I can tell if they're familiar with, you know, theories of disability justice or not, for example. And even if none of that is included, I think it's so important to have that exist somewhere. I saw a quote on Twitter a while ago that said something like, a disabled person might not identify as disabled, or a disabled person may identify as disabled but have no interest in connecting with other disabled people. And a disabled person might be interested in connecting with other disabled people but have no interest in the disabled community as a whole, no interest in solidarity, no interest in intersectional ways to work for not just awareness about my particular disability, but disabled people in general. And I find all those three elements critical. And that for me is part of connection. That's so important. Thank you so much for reading this book alongside me and alongside our community, speaking of reaching out and being part of something and connecting with people, I think is something was very special, like you said, about reading on connection in this community. And for both of us, you said this, and I would agree that I probably wouldn't have picked up this book if it were not for the fact that we were reading it together. And I'm really glad that I did. And especially it feels particularly resonant in this particular time of living in multiple genocides and witnessing things and feeling powerless and disconnected in some ways. So it's really good to see that connection and take strength from it, I think, for activism to be able to actually create some change in the world. So thank you. And then 
I want to ask you a bit about your disability reading list because we've been doing kind of a bring your own book to book club thing in the writing community lately. And so actually it will be a while before we have an official book club book that we're reading. Instead, we're bringing lists from our members and some of those I'm posting on my Instagram, by the way, a Rachel Thompson author, but this list will be forthcoming on there as well. But tell us a bit about the reading that you've been doing and what you've been finding and even sort of the why behind embarking on this reading list. So I mentioned my childhood memoir and a second project I'm also working on is a memoir in pieces on being hard of hearing. So I'm doing disability research to, as I said, contextualize my story. And this project, the memoir in essays or memoir in pieces, used to also involve chronic illness, CPTSD, chronic injury, mental illness. But I realize now that's another project related to the long-term effects of childhood trauma. So this disability research is really for both of those books. So a couple of books that I recommend for kind of a primer on disability and disability justice and disability studies. The top ones I would say are Demystifying Disability, What to Know, What to Say, and How to Be an Ally by Emily Landau is a beautiful coffee table book that is a great primer on all kinds of disabilities, the history of the disability movement. Also, Amanda LeDuc's Disfigured on Fairy Tales, Disability, and Making Space is a braided memoir, a narrative nonfiction book focusing on disability myths in fairy tales. And it's fascinating to read about Lujic's personal experiences with cerebral palsy and her zoomed out cultural criticism on how tropes in Western fairy tales have harmed and limited disabled people. Another disability justice personal narrative is Care Work, Dreaming Disability Justice by, I hope I'm saying this correctly, Lia Lakshmi Pyepsna Samara Sinha. And she has many books, but this one's a classic. And this book really shifted my perspective in terms of, for example, how disabled people with longer-term chronic illness or injury are treated versus able-bodied people who have short-term acute illness or injury. And it explained a lot about my own experiences. Another big part of my research for the first collection on being hard of hearing is to read hard of hearing and deaf narratives. And so my favorite book so far is a novel, It's Own Voices by Sarah Novick called True Biz. And in addition to a story that weaves many different deaf experiences, there are many narrative nonfiction sections that talk about the basics of ASL, American Sign Language, the history of the deaf community, and other cultural content that helps to enhance the narrative, the fiction story for readers new to the deaf community. I absolutely adore that book. It's another very accessible, great introduction. I've also started reading a history book by an academic called Hearing Happiness, Deafness Cures in History by Jaipreet Verdi. And the historian weaves her own experiences as a deaf person in with her research on how hearing people have labeled hearing loss as a problem to be solved through medical and other interventions. So I've just started it and it's really fascinating so far. The last book I'll mention is by Elsa Hunesen. 
being seen when deafblind women's fight to end ableism, which is half memoir and half cultural criticism on how deaf and blind people are portrayed in pop culture. The author talks about how society's ideas of deafness and blindness are myths, since most deaf and blind people do have some partial sight and residual hearing, as she does. She wears two hearing aids, and the way she describes her hearing loss, it sounds similar to, but more severe than my own. So I also love how she uses her academic background to talk directly about the institution of ableism and how we can break it down. A warning, though. The narrative is quite heavy, so I'm finding myself reading a few chapters at a time and then taking breaks to read other books in between. I would say those are the highlights of my disability reading list so far. Thank you so much for sharing that, Yeland. I've read one and I know of and have on my TBR list another one, so you have definitely opened me up to several new books I'm excited about. Great. I'm happy to hear that. I would love to end with the quick lit round where you fill in the blanks as I begin a sentence and I'll ask you to finish it for me. Okay. So the first is being a writer is? Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Invigorating. And interesting too, yeah. Literary magazines are? An exciting place to find new ideas and new work. Editing requires? A lot of patience because it's the biggest part of the writing process, in my opinion. I would agree with that opinion. I'm teaching the revision love course right now, and some of the writers are waking up to that idea. Oh, no, it's the big part. It's such a big part of the work is editing yourself. I love that course. I've taken it three times. I highly, highly recommend revision love. Oh, thank you. I learned so much. Rejection for a writer means? try again. And then finally, writing community is? Important. Very important. You're here. Yeah. Kay Tempest talks about rejection in On Connection. That's one of the sections I really loved about how rejection is part of being a creative and just really normalizing that idea. Yeah. Thank you for bringing it back to that. Because I think, again, that's another reason why it is a great book for writers to read. Definitely. Very reassuring. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much for sharing all your your love of craft, your love of reading and and reading with me. And and also just thanks for being connected. I feel very connected with you. And we've been feels like working together for years, really. I think it has been several years that you've been in the community and started with the Lit Mike Love Chorus and just appreciate that and watching your journey through Like you said, it's been a long time, but it's been a beautiful journey through writing your memoirs. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think I took my first course with you in 2017 or 2018, and it's been wonderful growing with you as well. So thank you so much for having me and just for having this wonderful community. Thanks, Yolande. You're welcome. So that was Yolande House and I talking about On Connection by Kay Tempest. There's something very special about reading together and focusing on our craft as we read, and this book gave us some great things to think about and talk about as writers. You also got a peek at Yelen's reading list on books about disability, and you'll be able to find more on this up on Instagram, on my account, at Rachel Thompson Author. 
This is my final new episode of 2023. I can't believe it, but stay subscribed for some highlights episodes coming up this month and mid-January is when I'll be back with new episodes. I'm planning to bring in more LitMag editors in the new year and more conversations about writing with limitations. So expect that disability thread that we started here today to be picked up again. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It really means so much to connect with each of you through this medium. I feel like we're together talking about writing and craft and ideas, and it's truly the most pleasurable thing in my week to record these for you, dear writers. If you want to stay connected, and you know I do, I'd love to have you as a subscriber to my writerly love letters. These are completely free. There's no charge for them. And I send them out each week to writers with some breaks based on my health, speaking of limitations, and during some season. So coming up, I will be taking a winter break from the letters and they'll also return probably more like early January. When you subscribe, you'll immediately get some gifts from me to help support your writing practice. So you can sign up at rachelthompson.co slash letters. The Write, Publish, and Shine podcast is brought to you by me, Rachel Thompson. Sound editing by Adam Linder. Transcripts by Dia Jaffrey. You can learn more about the work I do to help writers write, publish, and shine at rachelthompson.co. And you can learn about my Lit Mag Love course that's now open for registration at rachelthompson.co slash litmaglove. We start in January, and I'd love to have you join us if you're excited about getting published in Literary Mags in the new year. If this episode encouraged you to connect, then reach out. You can always email me at hello at rachelthompson.co and connect with other luminous writers by telling them about the podcast. You can do this by sending them to the link at rachelthompson.co slash podcast or letting them know they can search for Write, Publish, and Shine wherever they get their podcasts. So thank you for listening. I encourage you to do as Kay Tempest says and examine your presentation and publishing with the question why. Why am I doing this? Good question. Yolande House spoke to me from Tecoronto in Territory 13, the traditional lands of the Mississaugas of the New Credit and the Huron-Wendat. And I am a guest in the South Sinai, Egypt, on lands historically and presently occupied by the El Muzina Bedouin and close to the stolen lands of the Palestinian people, where civilians are currently being bombed in violation of international humanitarian law. Join our game of book club bingo this summer. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash book club.